The Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Switch to Aussie-owned Red Energy today. Prince Wine Store, bringing Melburnians the greatest wine in the world. And Cobram Estate, Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil. Grown, harvested and first cold-pressed in Northern Victoria. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. And welcome everybody to episode 285 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson. I'm here with my dear friend, Corrie Perkin. Hello, Corrie. Hello, Caro. Now, Corrie, where do we start? Can we start with Miss Jane's flowers? Forget-me-nots. Heirloom lilies. Elabors of some beautiful variety. Actually, that's a Chinese lantern. Do I spot some... um, uh, Is that wisteria, Miss Jane? It's absolutely clematis. Oh, it's clematis. <laughs> Cliff from clematis. Ajugas. Lilies. Um, oh, and, and what are the snowballs? What are they called again? Oh, I can't remember. But the there's, burnham. There's the burnham. all sorts popping up in my garden. Um, that is such a beautiful posy, Jane. <laughs> they always remind me of the races. Now, look, there was a lot to unpack, Corrie. When we last met, Daniel Andrews was Premier of Victoria. Collingwood and Brisbane were about to kick off in a grand final. Miss Jane was still our producer. You had a car and my little international family in Amsterdam was still in Amsterdam. Since we last met, Jacinta Allen is now Premier, facing a fairly hostile sort of media and parliament at the moment. It wasn't too hostile on her day one, but I think that's going to hot up. Um, Obviously, Daniel Andrews is gone for good, um, quit in a fairly sort of shock decision later on in the day from when we met. Miss Jane is going to Greener Pastures, our wonderful producer of more than six years. Where did the time go? It is just extraordinary. 285 episodes. And if you don't mind me saying, Corrie. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm oh, just, treacherous I, no, one. I'm just crying. Oh, treacherous one. Were, were you one of the reasons we lost Miss Jane for giving her such a glowing reference? <laughs> <laughs> Without even telling me, Dory Evans, why wasn't I told? Well, I might be, but you know, there's secrecy around these things, Caro. I understand that, but um, Jane, would you like to tell the potties who are all sobbing where you are going? Oh, look, I think I'd be ashamed to say anywhere else except for the ABC. Um, and look, I've just recorded the last sounding board episodes with Hutchie and Damo. So we have a lot of listeners in common and they give me so much flack for being a lefty environmentalist greenie. Um, so and now you're going to the ABC. <laughs> so Back to I, your roots. Yeah, I started at the ABC when I was 20, 21. I hosted a kids TV show um, in the 90s. So I've always felt like it was a place I'd like to get back to one day. Um, I'll be in Ballarat. So Corrie, I hope you'll be listening to Statewide Drive when you're with your family in Ballarat. Shane. When Statewide Drive is over, you and I are having a drink. What time Statewide um, Drive? So three till six. So oh. anyone listening regionally. See you at 10 past at, um, exactly. down at the local cellars. But I have to thank you, ladies, because the reason I didn't tell you, Caro, is I thought I had no hope in hell to get a senior producing gig, you know, at the ABC. And I didn't want to be like, I'm unhappy, I don't, I'm going. It's. I had to tell them, I love my job. I love my job. But I felt like this was an opportunity that was too good to give up. So, And we're very proud and not, no, nothing but happiness, Jane. We will miss you. The wonderful Courtney is going to step into yeah. your formidable shoes. I hope she's co- got flowers in her garden. 
<laughs> oh, gee, the, the pressure's on, Courtney. Courtney, you can do what Jane did for the first five years before she bought her Steal rural yeah, her rural hideaway. Janie, we're really thrilled. I was um, I was honoured that you asked me. It was great to talk to ABC Ballarat about how terrific you are and what a job I think you might do. And of course you go with our, um, well, of course our thanks, but our love and support. We wish you every, more of this next week. Next week you last week. But um, Jane, yeah, we're all crying. The potties out there can't believe we're losing Miss Jane. Does, does Miss Courtney become Miss Courtney or do we have to think of... Well, we, we've gotten to a bit of trouble about Miss Jane, so we might have <laughs> to end. That, that line must, might end Jane. with Jane. Her middle name's Jane. Oh, well, there you go. Middle name Jane. So, Corrie, my Rose, my daughter, came back to Australia. She's moved back here for good. Well, you know, hopefully for good with Oscar and little Sunday and a very big pregnant belly. They I picked them up at Tulla yesterday morning. What is it about arriving at Melbourne Airport and you're suddenly getting text messages from DFAT and passport control? I mean, it, I feel like Big Brother has truly taken over our lives anyway. Um, I've witnessed one of the great grand finals that I have ever seen on an absolutely beautiful, windy and dusty but incredible Melbourne afternoon. I've been to the final and really incredible farewell for Gillan McLaughlin. I went to, uh, I launched um, my great friend Deborah Conway's book on Monday, Tuesday night at Fairfax, the Fairfax Foyer, which was an amazing experience. And her show is running from uh, Wednesday to Saturday in the week that we're chatting, as we said, when we had Deb on our podcast. And um, that went incredibly well and it was just a really lovely experience. I met Sophie Laguna, who turns out to be a big Deborah Conway fan and um, loves the song Release Me, which um, is apparently her favourite song, according to the publishers. And you, you went to see Swan Lake on off the back of me going, and I've already raved about it, but it was a day that began beautifully and a week that ended badly for you. Well... Yeah, look, you know, in the scheme of things, it's not a it's not a huge drama. But um, I had bought the tickets ages ago to take the little girls in Ballarat, Harriet and Willow. We have a thing when you turn five, you get to go with Mopsy to the ballet. So Willow turned five a couple of weeks ago. Harriet somehow inveigled herself into the situation, as did her mother, actually. So $580 later, not that I care about the price of the tickets, but that was a bit of a pile-on, but it was great, actually. To How did with. they behave? Because it is a, the first act particularly is very long, I would have mm. thought, for a five-year-old. Yeah, there's a lot of... Um, Wriggling? A lot, a lot of activity happening on stage with the various... Um, um, the story is that um, the Prince Siegfried has presented. His mother has organised these four different princesses from different parts of the realm come to woo him or be presented to him. And of course, he's just met Odette the Swan. That's actually in the second act. The oh, is that the second act? Yeah. Okay, so Which the first is quite act. A short act. The first act. What is the first act? Oh, the first act. He goes hunting and he discovers Odette. Yep. That's right. Okay, so there's a lot of swan stuff happening. A lot of wriggling beside me. Checker and I asked at the second interval, does anybody want to go home? They didn't. They lasted. So we got there in the end. Um, Six-year-old better behaves than the five-year-old, but they got there in the end. They loved it. And apparently all the way home, they were talking in the car about how wonderful it was, all the way back to Ballarat. I was supposed to follow them in my car and it was getting late and Checker rang me and said, traffic on Westgate Bridge, shocking. I'm still in the car an hour later. Don't come up. Come up in the morning. That morning, um, stayed in Melbourne overnight that morning, um, came down from the South Yarra rental pad, um, 6am, ready to get up to Ballarat to babysit, 
car smashed in window, passenger seat, and um, all my goodies on the front seat gone, including my diary, which, as we know, we have diary, a lot of just diary discussion on this podcast, Courtney, get used to it, and also a lot of car angst from yeah. me, and well, I'm adding to it again. A lot of car angst, but even worse, um, as people will recall, you were my plus one at the Brownlow a couple of nights earlier, so you had your good makeup. Your good makeup in the car as well. So we have a potty out there whose name escapes me. It's not Lindsay from WA. It's a potty, I can't think who it is, who made you and I about three or four years ago beautiful, like a tapestry fabric fabric bag. Yes, still got mine. And that has been my good makeup. You obviously don't. (laughs) It's always been in my car. It's always been in the boot. It was in the shopping bag that was stolen. As was, you know, big girl makeup like Mecca Cosmetica brushes and, you know, all that showy offy stuff that I was going to wear at the Brownlow, all gone. Four lipsticks because I couldn't decide which one. Four well, lipsticks. You did look gone. very nice at the Brownlow. <laughs> and your makeup looked good if it's any consolation. So glass everywhere. So, um, so Pete came downstairs and said, oh, you know, you can't drive the car. Clearly you can't. And I said, well, can I borrow yours? He said, I've got the biggest day. So I rang Checker, who I knew would be awake, and Harriet was in bed with her and I was on loudspeaker and I said, oh, darling, Mopsy can't come up to look after you today the last two days of the school holidays. Burst into tears. Pete is listening to this. Bless his heart. All he did was just hand me his car key and he said, go. That was very What a man. What a grandfather, (laughs) step-grandfather. So that was that, that, Caro. But can I just say on Swan Lake, you're absolutely right, girlfriend. It was a mind-blowing production. It is the finest Swan Lake I have ever seen. Laura Tingle on her Instagram account also said the same thing. And I fed in and I said, first time I have ever cried in the final act when they say goodbye and she's turned back into a swan. I bawled my eyes out. So did Francesca. The little girls were like, what are you two? It's just it's, it's a joyous experience. And after I've, I've already bought tickets to Alice in Wonderland or Alice Through the Looking Glass, whatever it's called, which is going to be the last performance at the State Theatre for several years in March. We don't have a ballet again from the Australian Ballet in Melbourne until September. So there are going to be two productions in September and October, which is great, and that'll be at the Regent. So if you want to see Carmen, for example, or The Nutcracker, which is on in the lead up to Christmas, you have to go to Sydney. Oh. I know. So, well, you know, maybe we'll just have to plan a trip. Anyway, before we keep going, um, thank you to our sponsors, Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Switch to Aussie-owned Red Energy today. Prince Wine Store, bringing Melbourne's greatest wine in the world. And, of course, Cobram Estate, premium Australian extra virgin olive oil. Corrie, we need to save the date for our next live podcast. That is on Thursday, the 16th of November. It's on the rooftop of the Red Energy Building in Cremorne. And it's an evening event. Will there be, will it be a licensed event? I'm sure that it will be, Miss Jane. I'm looking at you nervously. You will get to meet Courtney, Courtney Jane. It starts at 5.30. Tickets will be on sale soon. Do you think Miss Jane could come and join Courtney Jane? No, she's already said she's too busy. Oh, my God. She doesn't come off air I need a helicopter o'clock. to get from Ballarat to oh, Cremorne. Oh, Jane. Corrie. Aren't you even having a month off? Once oh. they go, they, they go. It's <laughs> so true. 5.30 till Caro, 7.30. Caro who? 16th of November. Um, we've had some wonderful correspondence. We haven't read much lately, but Rose Keane via Insta. Her I husband I think we and read I, this last week. They, 
did they about the yeah. recipes? I didn't actually, yeah, we read it last yeah, week. Last did week. we? We didn't read. Did we read? We didn't Jenny read the Smith? others. No. I don't think we read Jenny. We haven't Smith. read Kylie, and we haven't read Jenny. Well, Jenny Smith, our dear friend, is writing to say how much he's enjoying Drops of God, Corrie's recommendation. He always thought Miles was a bit flowery with his description of wines. Now he understands. So sorry, Miles, from Jenny. Kylie McRae via email says her first Anne Patchett novel has been enjoyed. Thanks to us, mainly me saying it got me through my flight delay, no higher recommendation, ripped her heart out, particularly when she realised um, that she drove the stretch of Lake Michigan in Minnesota directly across from the cherry farm last year. Thank you. She loves BSF. I've got a cracker book this week. I've finally read another book, Corrie, and you've got a recipe and a screen. But before we go on, I was um, at the grand final. I actually had a lead up to the grand final um, on air with um, Lee Matthews and Tony Shaw and Maddie Granlin on the outside broadcast for 3AW. And Tony Shaw joked about um, when Collingwood last played in a grand final, 2018, they lost it by less than a goal. And he was down on the ground because he was presenting the cup if Collingwood won as Lee Matthews would have been had Brisbane won this time around. And he said it was it was just a nightmare. You know, that Collingwood were in front. Tony was holding on to the cup. And he said Dean Kemp was there too to hand it to West Coast. Dom Sheed, of course, kicked the impossible goal back in 2018. West Coast won. He said Dean Kemp took the cup. I didn't want to let go. He wrestled <laughs> it away from me and I wandered up the race like a mangy dog. He said, Lethal, I hope that doesn't happen to you. Well... I don't think Lee would have ever been a mangy dog, but he would have been down there because nobody knew what the result was going to be. And um, the same thing happened. Um, really, really incredibly um, That's, incredible. That is, that is very funny. I wondered how that all played out. Uh, and I, I did, like, it was wonderful to see Peter Moore, who was a bit of a pin-up of mine, uh, presenting it to his son, Darcy. But I did think about, well, where's Lethal? What does he do now? Walk up to the Brisbane boys and say, bad luck and... As well, you say, skulk off. Incredibly, they, Brisbane had a premiership reunion the next day in at a pub in Fitzroy or Brunswick or somewhere. And Craig McRae, the Collingwood coach, and Justin Lepich, the assistant coach, actually turned up at that function. He had a big weekend, Craig McRae. We know he had a, his third child. He was asleep when his wife went into hospital. Can I just Gabriel. say, were we happy with the Herald Sun photo of little Maggie being popped inside the cup? Mm. Oh, I loved it. Mm, occupational thought, health and safety. I hope they gave it a oh, good scrub. Oh, I'm sure that Maggie will be fine. Very big weekend for Craig McRae. An extraordinary game. That second quarter with some of those goals was one of the great quarters of football I've ever seen. And, um, look, it was great being at the function, you know, caught up with Albo, caught up with Barnsley, you know, who wasn't there. It was um, had a brief chat to our friend Kylie Watson-Wheeler, who we haven't seen since we had her on the podcast, I think, before the Bulldogs played in the grand final of 2021 over in Perth. you name it, they were there, Corrie, and I had a wonderful day. Nothing get the national anthem just before the grand final is just it it makes me very emotional. I'm not a Kiss fan, but that they put on the greatest show they possibly could Great for show. a bunch of old Beautiful rockers. Beautiful weather. What was it like watching it on telly? Well, Cara, that my my grand final morning started with reading your most excellent column, which was looking at the um, the impact of Craig Kelly and Graham Wright, that double act of Collingwood all those years ago. 
1990 Dream Team. Remember Darren Mullane died not long after that. At the end of twi- at yeah. the end of at the end of the following year. God, that was just unbelievable. But the, the influence you talked about the influence of coach then coach Collingwood Lee Matthews. That was a really interesting. I, I mean, I love absorbing myself in the foot, footy papers. The morning of the granny didn't get to see the. Um, didn't get to see much or any of the North Melbourne breakfast with our friend Sonia Hood in the chair because I was off to yoga, which, of course, a good yoga student won't stop for anything, even the grand final. Um, yeah, and settled down in front of the footy, listened to some of your pre-match on 3RW, sat down in front of the footy at about 1 o'clock and um, it was just Pete and I, best way to watch it, really absorbed um, well, good behaviour on the sofa from him. Yes, you don't um, want to watch it with people who are going to talk. No. Nah. It's not a social event. No, nah. and you don't want to watch it really with somebody who has a, an entirely vested interest, which neither of us did. Uh, his commentary, I thought, was wise and fair. He was going for Lions, I was going for Maggie's, so that was interesting. At half time, we opened a bottle of um, French, spa, French champagne, which was um, decadent but good. And um, I think we fell asleep at about 8.30 or 9 o'clock that night. We were exhausted. But it was, you know, your Kane Corns, your, Kane Corns, your colleague on um, Footy Classified, declared it the best grand final he's ever seen. Would you agree? Oh, 1989 will never be topped for me. I mean, I know that um, oh, the, the big moments, the Dermot Brereton moment, you know, Dipper with mm. the, you know, the punctured lung, uh, Gary wound, Ablett's nine kid, goals. Gary Ablett's goals. Senior yeah, Gary Ablett's. Senior. There were so many extraordinary moments in that game, and 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 again, Hawthorne was always winning that game, but they <clears throat> they ended up only winning by six points. I also thought the two thousand and nine grand final between Geelong and St Kilda was one of the great games. And that, they'd been two great teams. Mm. They'd been such the two best teams all year. And then the draw the following year. 2010, mm. the draw, you know, the Brendan Goddard mark late in the game, the the bad bounce um, for Stephen Milne, you know, so many things in that game. So, but but certainly, as and the second half, it was a lot of stifled ball and the way Collingwood just shut it down so brilliantly, some brilliant moments. But the first half and that second quarter, I mean, it's certainly it's one of the best three or four I've ever seen in terms of quality of game. But, um, you know, I've, I've seen my team break a drought and come back and win three premierships. But really, in the last quarter, it's been pretty much, you know, decided. You know, they've, they've, they've picked up either early in the last quarter or for the whole game. They've won their premierships by a lot. This was just wonderful. And I, I, one of the great pieces I read on Saturday in The Age was actually the one by Greg Baum about the, the um, collie wobbles and That's the birth case. of the collie wobbles, which were actually um, christened by, Le, uh, by Lou Richards. Lou Richards, exactly. And and just excra- exc- exclaiming the, explaining sorry the psyche of that. And this was a grand final that the collie wobbles would have emerged in. Had they still existed, they're, they're dead and gone now. I well, reckon. it seems like um, the coach has turned them from winning games, which is what it's all about, and playing a winning offensive game to somewhat defensive. I mean, at every turn when Brisbane tried to cut through, Collingwood was there, physically there, uh, just putting themselves in front of the ball, manning up at every mark. They were just incredible. Their offensive game was amazing. 
It was, was amazing. It was such a tough game. And Bobby Hill, dare I say, I was on the family WhatsApp calling that at about the 20-minute mark of the first quarter, Norm Smith medalist. So, of course, I felt very smug afterwards, like a real football expert. Well, I've been a... Um, but that was a fairy I'm, story too, wasn't it? Oh, amazing. Amazing when you think he had testicular cancer two years ago. He asked for a trade. He ended up at a club that had just emerged... Um, he, he got there a year late. Craig McRae wanted him earlier, but had just emerged from the Do Better report and some serious, you know, racial... Well, there were clearly, and, and this was all brought about by Heretia Lumumba, but it sort of spelt the end of Eddie Maguire's presidency earlier than he had planned. That club, and, you know, Darcy Moore led that, really, as a, not captain at the time, but led a player group that was just so disappointed in what had gone on and the way it had been explained. So Bobby Hill winning it all sort of showed the club again coming a full circle. His real name is Ian. Mm, Does he play? As someone commented. Uh, Ian's well, Ian's don't win. Waleed well, Ali, who I was on a fight right, with. That's right, on Sunday. He said he did not play like an Ian, did not. Oh, no, I just love that comment. But he was, um, he was wonderful. Yeah, look, it was – and you, when I have voted once on the Norm Smith medal, it's incredibly stressful. But you just want to play to kick four goals and make it really easy. So well done, Bobby. You do, and if they and don't – And all those goal assists as well. Well, that, well, he was just so effective getting it to the forward line. But, Caro, I was chatting with a mate on, um, I don't know, Monday, I guess it was, on the telephone about the granny. And I said, you know, every year it throws up its own set of fairy tales – extraordinary moments. I mean, Richmond's had a few and and there's always a kind of a, 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 a magical moment. And my friend said, why is that? Why is it that particular game? And it's it's got so much to do with what's riding on it, how many people within a club are trying to get other people or themselves over the line to be there on the big day, all of the sacrifices that people make to get there, whether it's a club president or it's a... Um, you know, like um, was it Jordan Degoy's grandmother um, who is suffering from terminal cancer? Um, and I think he presented the medal to her. Jane's going to check that up. But I just saw that in dispatches somewhere, which was so emotional for Jack me. Jack Ginevan going to the races the night before and Craig <laughs> Kelly defending him and then the coach after the game going, Jack, read the room. You'll have to learn to grow up. But maybe he said for him, you know, he always that goes was, to the races yeah. and it helps settle his nerves. Yeah, and it was Jordan Degoe. Thanks, He didn't Jane. have a great game. Um, no, Jordan he Degoe, no. Jordan Degoe didn't do much for a lot of the game, but those goals. Weren't they That fair. goal after the sign. Yeah, oh. yeah. And, and I heard you and um, Jake talking on your um, most excellent football podcast that The Age produces the day after. And you, someone mentioned about the – because it was so hot – the weight of the ball is different. And so those big, long bomb goals, we saw quite a few of them on Saturday. And it was interesting to think about the impact that the um, atmosphere has on the ball. Yeah. But some yeah. of those big goals were amazing. What yeah. a great game. It, it was a great game. And the, the weekend was stunning. Sunday was a beautiful day as well. You always feel a bit flat, or I do, after the season ends. And then Monday, Brendan and I sat outside on Monday evening, um, went down to um, our local Indian, sat outside and had a really lovely meal and just could barely speak. We were so sort of overcome with anything. And um, we'd, I'd been to Rose's house. People had dropped off produce and her farm friend Georgie dropped off beautiful avocados and, you know, homemade honey and tomato, passata and all this wonderful stuff. Trudy, of course, our friend, had dropped off some uh, the, our local Lovejoy, some great things. And I thought how – and and 
Oscar's sister Anna had made a beautiful sign and we were saying, imagine coming home to Melbourne like this. Well, of course, they landed in the worst weather. The temperature well, dropped by about 20 degrees. Hey, but Caro, and it hasn't stopped raining since they got here. Aren't we thrilled to see the rain? I mean, isn't this interesting that in the last two weeks and, and you know, thought, sending thoughts and love to people in Gippsland, although hopefully... Um, I know the Locksport golf course was spared and, and actually worked as a buffer for the town a couple of nights ago when it was so windy and so hot. But just this, these past few days with no rain, my goodness, aren't we in for a big, a scary summer? And today, you know, it hasn't stopped raining yesterday, today as we speak, uh, I'm thrilled. So I think we're going to be like that for the next few months when we see rain, aren't we? Couldn't agree more. Uh, look, there, we've... There's been a lot happened for us both in the last week. I think it's time for a drink. The Cocktail Cabinet is brought to us by Prince Wine Store and Miles Thompson. This week, the wines of the Iberian Peninsula. What a place, Miles. Welcome. Yeah, beautiful if anyone's been. Portugal, I mean, Spain's fantastic, but Portugal's such a, I think, an underrated country it's very cool so can you, can you give us yeah. a can you give us a um, geography lesson not really <laughs> <laughs> portugal's next to Por- spain portugal's on the west of spain and and a bit of like the top half of a little top part of spain sort of sits above portugal on on that atlantic coast there uh on the coast there which is which is the like, kind of rias bacias region rias ba- ba- rias bacias <laughs> region and that sits above portugal and then Portugal's all along that western coast. And, and what, oh, what the westernmost point of Europe, yeah. Cabo yeah, de right. Roca, with the yeah. famous lighthouse. We did it when we did that Portugal walk, my husband Correct. and I. We ended up um, there, and it's looking out over the Adriatic, Adriatic, Adriatic Sea. Yeah, sorry. And it's a beautiful part of the world. So, is what it is Porto? it? What, no, no that's Porto's on inland. the other side. So, yeah. what? Yeah. what uh, what is it about this particular region that makes the wine so special? Um, I look. I, I think part of it is that it's. I guess like you go to Italy, you go to Spain. Uh, you know, obviously other countries, but Italy and Spain in particular, and obviously Portugal. They're just a whole different set of varietals. I think so. That's the main thing. You know, we we're very used to a very sort of classic set of varietals here in Australia. That's what we sort of started our industry on. So, Chardonnay, Cabernet, Pinot Noir. So all the French sort of varietals. And this is like, you know, you go over to the sort of Spain and Portugal and it's a, it's a whole other sort of set of varietals and they taste different. They're texturally very different. Um, so I think that's the big one. And it's just, it's a diff- it's much warmer. Um, there's some really sort of arid regions. So all these kind of like different influences and, you know, there's some coastal regions, there's inland regions. So a lot of different sort of things at play that, that make it really unique to drink from. Tell us what we're going to be drinking from Portugal. Well, I, I picked... Three wines. So from Portugal, I picked Altano, um, Douro. It's just a Douro red, basically. So it's from the Douro, which we typically know, you know, or most people probably know, that's the um, port wines. So fortified styles. But Portugal's really sort of making some fantastic still dry red and white wines. Um, Now from the Douro, probably they've been doing it maybe a little bit longer. A lot of the port houses often have a, a sort of a dry style wine, and they're almost... Always a blend, Tintoriche, Tintacau, Tintabarocca, Tariga Franca. They're all these particular port varietals, but just done in a still red sort of wine style. And this is quite inexpensive. It's $22, but it has all that lovely sort of warmth of the Duro, that lovely sort of warm kind of boysenberry, sort of really dark, foresty fruit. So it's quite heavy? 
Well, so that's the interesting thing, particularly with the wines of the Duro. They have that warmth, but they're also often grown quite high up. And they get these very cold sort of nights as well. So you get this wonderful freshness to them as well. So they've got this really sort of bright snap to the fruit as well as this kind of like density as well. So it's a really interesting combination. So, yeah, they sort of come across as feeling maybe a bit sort of dark and broody, but they also tend to have this lovely sort of freshness about them too. So really sort of interesting wines to drink. I really like the still wines of Portugal. I think they're really fascinating. Um, and this is a great sort of way to start because $22, it's a really sort of great value wine. Altano, Altano, Duro, Altano Duro, Red Blend, yeah. A Red Blend. Mm. And what else? That's so, $22. So that's 22 and, and that's that's Portugal. Um, and then I thought Spain, you know, I had to do Albarino. So Abelio Albarino. Um, we've had this in the store a number of times. And if anyone hasn't had Albarino before, it's a really sort of great mix of, I guess I would call it Pinot Gris and sort of Riesling it's a little bit sort of bit fatter and fleshier than Riesling, but has some of those kind of like chalky sort of lifted elements to it. Lovely sort of tropical lilt to the fruit. Um, lovely fleshy sort of soft fruit. You can get ones that are oak, but generally they're unoaked. So they... Take heed, Jenny Smith. Yeah. Um, we, we used your name in vain before, Miles, but oh, okay. one of our friends, one of our podcast friends said <laughs> until he watched Drops of God, he thought you were a bit flowery with your wine descriptions. Oh. And now he understands and he's sorry. And I'm not so flowery? Is that well, no, but now she's under- not as flowery as some. No, oh, we love we love we love <laughs> flowery, but she's saying now she's seen drops of oh, God and realizes it it needs to be flowery. Well, yeah, you've got to, it's you know you've got to try to evoke some sort of response and it's and, brilliant. And well, we you have do, but when Miles it was a compliment, Miles. I mean, Miles. Oh, good. Miles just <laughs> I wasn't said, sure. Miles just used the term tropical fruits. I mean, that is that. Immediately conjures something up to me last week or the week before you were talking about citrus Mm. fruits. You know, so you get a sense of the difference, don't you, by the description? Yeah, absolutely. Keep it up. And it has some of those elements too. It's it's really, it's really cool. Yeah, if you like, I think if you like kind of Pinot Gris and Riesling, it's a great sort of. um, But fatter than Riesling. A bit fatter and fleshier than Riesling. And how much is the Albarino? That's twenty-seven. God, we're on a bargain roll here. And what's the third one? Uh, so the the last one is Alvario Palacios uh, La Vendemia, um, uh, t- temper- it's, it's a Rioja blend. So it's Garnacha and Tempranillo. It's a really sort of Spanish soft, as well. This is Spanish, yeah. So we're in Rioja, so it's probably most people know Rioja as, as you know if you if you're sort of talking about Spain. So. Um, just a lovely, it, it sees a little bit of time in oak, but it's really sort of about that primary sort of red and black fruits, that kind of bit of that sort of like dark chocolate sort of thing coming through. That ganache gives it a lovely bit of like freshness and crunch as well. Tempranillo can be a little bit sort of tannic when, when you, the ones here sometimes in Australia can be pretty sort of soft and juby, but I think in Spain, the more serious side of things, they're a little bit more structured and a little bit more sort of towards the full-bodied. So this has those elements of that Tempranillo, but really sort of softened out by that beautiful, like, red fruit, raspberry ganache in it. Really fantastic. And it's a bit more ganache-driven than a lot of other Rioja wines. Sounds beautiful. It's really good. That's $40, but it's a... Your big ticket item. Yeah, and if you haven't tried Rioja wines before, it's a great place to start there too as well. And obviously it just goes up from there. And there's cheaper stuff as well. Where is this region in Spain, Rioja? So Rioja is kind of northeastern, so it has some influence from the ocean, but it's sort of sort of in the sort of... It's got some elevation as well. Um, So I think it's about, I don't know someone's going to catch me on this one, maybe like 120 Ks or something 
from the sort of northern coast and towards the sort of east before you kind of get to the sort of Pyrenees up in France, but but a fair bit before that too. So Beautiful. kind of north north northeast in there. Yeah. And tell us the name of that one again. So that's the Palacios Ramondo. I think it's the Lavendemia. It's called. Wow. I love that one. I've loved it for a long time. Beautiful labels too. Really, really cool. And he's a bit of a garnacha expert as well. So he does some really great garnacha sort of stuff. So I'm kind um, of loving your Spanish accent. I reckon we could add the Iberian Peninsula to, to the tour. Yeah, tour. What do you reckon? <laughs> I think that's a tour. Oh, bad luck, Jane. Oh, what a shame, Jane. You can't come. Oh, dear. Just why, off why to Ab- Oh, she's going off to Ballarat for oh, a permanent big, Ballarat. It's big the girl job. Bane of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> well, not quite. Not quite sure about that. <laughs> hey, Miles, they're great recommendations. Thank you for taking us to Spain and Thank Portugal you. this week. Yeah, Portugal too. Don't forget. So, Corrie, head to princewinestore.com.au. They're bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. And remember to use the promo code MEWS for your 10% list and discount. And they deliver Australia wide. Now, Corrie, for Red Energy, it is time for books, screen, and food. And I am going to kick off. With a book, have you read The It Girl by Ruth Ware? No, but I know Ruth Ware. So she is an, a British crime writer. Yes. I think probably three or four novels in. Actually, this is her seventh novel, and they're all standalone thrillers. They are. And she came with a big song and dance into the bookshop, gosh, it may be 10 years ago. I don't know, but there's been a lot of money on Ruth Ware. I don't read her, but people say she's fabulous. Can't wait to hear your review. Well, the one that um, you would have been talking about is called In a Dark, Dark Wood, which I think our friend, well, she's not really our friend, but Reese Witherspoon, she's not our friend at all. We don't even oh, she's, know her. We're going to call <laughs> We'll call her a friend of the pod. Our old mate, Reese. Yeah. I think he's optioned it. I think he's optioned it for um, either a series or a film. Um, I just saw this in the bookshop. Uh, my mother had given me a voucher to our local bookshop down at the beach. And so I it, I just thought it looked like – I brought this and I brought the – which you told me to read, um, Horse. Is it by Geraldine Brooks? Correct. I bought, I bought those two books. I started this one first because it looked like a easier read. And – Look, it is an easy-ish read. It's a thriller. You actually can't put it down. And you have no idea until very, very, very near the end who done it. And it's some um, psychodrama or blood and guts drama? No, 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 no. It's um it's a story of two young women who meet at Oxford, as in the university. Pelham College. April is the it girl. She comes from, she's a double-barrelled name, comes from a very, very posh family, went to a very posh all-girls boarding school, and she arrives at Pelham College largely because of her family connections. That Hannah arrives there, off, she comes from a small town in England. She's a product of divorced parents and an adoring mother. She basically gets there because I think he gets a scholarship anyway. She's incredibly hardworking. They end up sharing um, – they, they get a sort of a two-bedroom two-bedro- college sort of apartment. They're very lucky in this way, but they are poles apart and basically April takes Hannah into her circle. So the story is told between then and now or before and after. Um, after is 10 years after Hannah has found April's body. She's been murdered – and she is living in Scotland. She's working in a bookshop and she is pregnant to Will, who is another member of their circle and April's lover, certainly for a period of time early on in the story. And Does Will become a suspect? The, 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 
basically Hannah's evidence convicts someone, someone, and he is in jail and has been in jail for ten years. And he dies of a heart attack. And this is where the book starts. And a lot of the reviews I read criticise Ruth Ware's writing in that Hannah's character becomes incredibly annoying. As in, no, not annoying. She's just clearly suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and has never really, although she's been and received um, psychiatric care, psychological care, it just, she's, she's still, she is weighed down by this. And it, it soon becomes apparent that, Perhaps she's weighed down by the fact that she too has not only the murderer, but she too has sort of stolen April's life because she's now with Will and they are having their first child and she is alive and April is dead. April who introduced her to the world of champagne and, you know, naughtiness and games and, and this very upper crust set at Oxford. And, and also because there's this seed of doubt in her mind. Did oh, the wrong dear. man get convicted? Oh, so, dear. Uh, look, Hannah, it, off to a shrink. There's there's a lot of twists. Well, Will doesn't go to a shrink, which maybe he should have. But okay, anyway, don't give any more. A away. lot of twists, a lot of turns. I didn't pick it. It's called The It Girl by Ruth Ware. I highly recommend it as a really good travel read, beach read. Well, not really relaxing read, but it's a page turner of the highest order. That's my book for this week, The It, the it Girl by Ruth Ware. Now you have finally watched. Colin from Accounts, which I've never watched. Tell me. You know, I don't know whether it's going to be your speed. Oh. Well, you know how you, know how you and I because have... Because I have no sense of humour? No, but you and I have a different <laughs> sense of humour. I mean, as you know, you often, like the gang often have a laugh about my sense of humour, which is a bit odd. I mean, I love the three amigos. Yeah. Um, Gee, yeah, I much else? prefer the librarians to Summer Heights High. I love I love the librarians. I hate, thought it was hysterical. Hate the Three Stooges, love the Marx Brothers. I don't know. Well, maybe we're similar. Okay, maybe you would like it. What I didn't expect was, you know how um, Pete is, although he was born at, at um, Wangaratta Base Hospital, he spent most of his life living in the UK, US, so he has a very particular American sense of humour. Did not laugh at Kath and Kim when he first saw it, thought it was ridiculous. I thought he will not like this. Last night I watched another episode. He was he thought it was fantastic. So it's so, Australian, isn't it? It's Australian and it's on binge. And I am a bit late to come to the party with this one and it was recommended to me by daughter Coco who was having a coffee with our friend Anna and myself um, and the other day. Or Not Opshop Anna. No, Anna from Cape Merchants Anna. Down at Sorrento. Because Opshop op shop Anna, I don't think, was that mad on it. Uh, maybe not. I, mean, I haven't very, seen it. It's, so. a, it's, it's mm, yeah, I can understand that. Anyway, they both started on it. I said, what's Colin from Accounts about? They couldn't get the words out. They were laughing so much. I said, oh, come on. It's not that funny. And then they're going, what about when this happened? Well, they're in fits. I thought, this is crackers. So I tuned in. I am in love with Colin from Accounts. I love the title. I love the reason for the title, which I'm not going to tell you. I love the writing. I love the acting. I love what appears to be improv acting. Well, I think it is actually because the two character, two main characters are husband and wife in real life and they've written it and produced it and devised it. So they can go off-piste at any time they like. And the ensemble cast, who are brilliant as well, go along with Do we them. know any of them? Uh, yes, you do. So you know Patrick Bramall. He was he did the old 
you know, home and away pass through Australian television, but he ended up uh, on Offspring. So he was um, Nina's love interest after Patrick died. Oh, yes. Okay. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, not this Patrick, because that's his name in real life. This is confusing. Stay with me. Um, he was also in the Moody's. He had a, a, an appearance or two um, in the Librarians. Um, uh, parents of young children will know him as Uncle Red, the voice in Bluey, the voice of Uncle Red. And his partner, his wife in real life is Harriet Dyer. And she is best known for Love Child, the medical drama that kind of came and went. These two are fabulous and they play Gordon and Ashley. And this is the unlikely love story of two people who meet when a stray dog is hit by a car right in front of them. They have absolutely disconnected lives. Gordon is a 40-something who co-owns an inner city brewery come designer pub. It's based in Sydney. And 29-year-old Ashley, who's rather gorgeous, is a medical student. And she's So this is the main story? This is the story. Nothing to do with Colin from Accounts? Colin from Accounts is the title and I'm not going to tell you why. Right? Okay, sorry, sorry. So the two of them like go, oh, my God, the dog's been hit, and they rush off to the vet, which happens to be Yvette the vet. Yvette <laughs> has had a couple of unsuccessful dates with Gordon in the past. So Gordon, who's known to his friends as Flash, um, Flash and Ashley, the new people who have just met, arrive there and Yvette, who's a bit snaky because she thinks Ashley's the new girlfriend and has taken over her role as the date, um, she says in a snippy tone, well, it, there's not much hope for this dog. Um, he's he's crushed his pelvis, he's broken his spine, you know, he's on death's door. You can take him out now. We can give him a green dream and off he goes. Or it will be $12,000, maybe it's eight, can't exactly remember, to get this dog up and running again. So as they're about to insert the green dream and Ashley and and Patrick, sorry, Ashley and Gordon who have never met and never met the dog are weeping. And just as, as Yvette, the vet's about to stick the, you know, syringe in, they go, stop. So they do a deal that they will co-share the dog. And this is where the relationship begins. You're completely kept in suspense. Are they going to be just good buddies Will there be some romance? There's lots of amazing backstories, but the characters, you want to hang out with them all. I just, I love them. I love um, Emma Harvey plays Ashley's medical student friend, Megan, who's just the master of the dry delivery. Genevieve Hegney is Gordon's best friend and business partner, Kiara. Kiara is one of the funniest subset characters I have ever seen in a tele in a television comedy or drama. There's Helen Thomas, who's Ashley's divorced mother, who's a bit of a cougar type. So, of course, meets Gordon, is eyeing him off with a few lines. Um, it's just, it's a great, it, it is just so wonderful. I was trying to work out where in Sydney it's shot because it's got a kind of a Surrey Hills. It's a bit too down market from Paddington, but I was thinking Surrey Hills or whatever. I have since discovered, Caro, it was shot during the second wave of COVID in Sydney, which explains the gentle village feel because it was actually made in Marrickville, Leichhardt and Redfern, which as we know are very, very busy in urban. But because it was shot during COVID with all the obvious kind of um, restrictions and, and protocols they had to observe the team who were shooting it, um, it has that. It has a feel like nothing I've quite known. But you know what Offspring did for inner Melbourne, the northern suburbs of Melbourne and Fitzroy? This does it for Sydney. You want to hang out with these people. I love it. Colin from Accounts. And it's been a big international hit too. 
It has. It's won all these awards, hasn't it? It's won. It's it been was... on BBC Two. It's gone nuts, and it's about to stream on Paramount in the US starting in November. But um, there are American audiences who have already had access to it, including Variety magazine, and they are raving because of that quirky Aussie humour. That we have. Okay, I'm on. Now, Corrie, you're on a roll. Food is brought to us each week by Cobram Estate, Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil. And you have been cooking. You've got a beautiful book there. Mr Cobram, I'm sorry there's no olive oil in this cake. But um, I do apologise, but everything that surrounded it, the salads and everything, did have Cobram. I made the best bolognese for the homecoming Travellers early this morning with the light olive oil from Cobram Estate. Good it, idea. And the pork and veal mince, the sort of Stephanie Alexander recipe, it was. If I do say hey, so listen, myself, Corrie. Can, can we actually do a good bolognese? Could you do that next week? I'm okay. Looking, I'm looking for a good new bolognese recipe. All right. Okay. You're okay. on. So do you remember I had History Club a couple of weeks ago? Constantinople was the theme and I was scratching around doing Turkish food. I found in Sabrina Yahoo's Feasts, which is Middle East cooking, Middle Eastern cooking, this cookbook is such a gem. I found a spiced rhubarb and almond cake. So when I told the gang at the History Club, oh, this is an old Turkish recipe, nobody disagreed. I mean, it may be. I don't know. I just loved it. The, Cara, this is the... Best the cake. picture looks incredible, this Miss is, Jane. That has to go on the show notes. This is Thank the you. this is the best cake I have ever cooked. This is so delicious. Oh, I you mean, get, come so on! Myself. No, really. <laughs> come on! No, really. Too big a statement. No, really. So I won't go through all. It, it, it's not overly fiddly, but but there are quite a few ingredients. So don't what's get the worst? What's the toughest bit to make it? What's the fiddliest bit? Well, you see how in the recipe in the picture here, it's split in half, and it has. Uh, the filling is double cream, um, seeds from cardamom pods that have been crushed, cinnamon, vanilla bean paste and blackberry jam. That That's sounds in incredibly middle. fiddly, yes. In the middle. Well, when I pulled my cake out, I started to cut it in half because that's what they ask you to do. To put the filling in, in the, the cream middle, and stuff. In the middle, yeah. and, and it had the toasted almonds on the top because you cook it like that. Um, I became nervous. The, the texture of it was perfect. This recipe is perfect to follow, easy to follow. But I became nervous that I was going to lose my cake as I was trying to split it. So I put I, halfway through cutting it, I decided to put it back together. I put the cream um, and the straw and the blackberry jam on top of the cake. So when you actually bit into it, there was a layer of cream, which is a spicy, beautiful nutmeggy cream, with the jam and the toasted almonds and then the cake and drizzle cream over it. Oh, my God. But what is essential to this, of course, what makes it is the rhubarb in the middle. So you just trim and cut about 400 grams of rhubarb into little, um, you know, a couple of millimetre slices, and you whack that in, and it cooks in the cake. Um, Caster sugar, ground cinnamon, eggs, vanilla bean paste, ground ginger, which I think you can really taste in this beautiful self-raising flour, salted butter, and, as I said, the almonds. Divine! It looks absolutely beautiful. It that, is. It is a great that cookbook. That is spiced this. rhubarb and almond cake from Sabrina Gay Hall's Feasts cookbook. And that was BSF for Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131806? You are grumpy. How can you be with all the wonderful things that have happened to you, including Gillan McLaughlin's farewell party where you might have had a couple of glasses of champs? Yeah, I, have you heard of um, you've heard of Feb Fast and you've heard of Dry July, October. Oh 
God, you're clever. Day four. Day four, will I last? I reckon I will. I just you're too, drying out. Too much too much going. Well, it's not that on, on no occasion have I absolutely tied one on, but it's just so many functions and they're so wonderful and I'm so appreciative. But it's sort of hard to knock back a cocktail or a glass of champagne or a beautiful glass of wine. So I'm doing that for a few days or hopefully a few weeks and see how I feel. The reason I'm grumpy, you might remember, Corrie, when I went up for the nine upfronts, I told that story about running into Callum Mills when I had my hair up like Phyllis Diller get, to get the sash of my um, lovely Scanlon dress that I had to wear on stage. Well, silly Callum Mills, as we know, went out on Mad Monday and got into a wrestling situation with a younger teammate, Sydney Swans captain he is, co-captain Callum Mills, and thought he'd sort of hurt his shoulder a bit. A few days later it emerges that he's actually hurt his shoulder a lot. A few days later he has soldier, shoulder surgery. He's going to miss six to nine months of football. <gasps> so last week the Swans put out a very terse press release explaining how disappointed they were. And on Wednesday of this week, Callum Mills was clearly told he had to front the media and, you know, explain himself. Now, I'm not going to go into the press conference, which happened on Wednesday morning, but if you're going to do a press conference, footballers, anyone, star of any realm, you may as well tell the truth and come clean. What was the point of fronting the media if every time... He was asked a question about what actually happened. He refused to answer. What? I mean, he just... Because you all knew. Well, I mean, we know that there was a... He started wrestling with a younger teammate, but I think people are entitled to say, look, what happened? I mean, look, is it the most important story in the world? No. Is it in the public interest? If you're a Sydney Swans member, you probably do want to know what your co-captain did to actually miss the start of next season or certainly all of yes, pre-season. Yes, you owe it to your stakeholders, Caroline. When you're in some form of premiership window, I just reckon that was just poor form by Callum Mills. So, Callum, that made me very grumpy. As you always say, Caro, the cover-up is often worse than the crime. Well, that's true. I mean, maybe there to was quote some... you, To quote you back to yourself. Corrie, do you want to kick off six quick questions for Red Energy? I do. I would love to do that. And I would like to ask you, what is your greatest kiss regret? I'm imagining that's kiss as in the band, not... No, it was... I mean, you've kissed a few... <laughs> do, do, I, you've kissed, do I request... Kissed a few duds in your day. Regret kissing anyone. Many years Kisses, ago, when I hosted the... afternoon. No, we actually this. shouldn't. Many years ago, when I hosted the afternoon program on 3AW, Paul Stanley came in and I interviewed him. And you know what? He spoke a lot about basically his life as a womaniser and kiss groupies. And I sort of just went along with it and didn't call him up on it. And I really regret that to this day. And I remember our friend Jeff Slattery saying, oh, you know, you let that idiot get away with it. And you know what? He was right. And even as I was watching Kiss on stage on grand final day, I thought, I wish I'd been a bit tougher on that silly ball, Stanley. Anyway, just well, a small thing. Don't, don't beat yourself up about it. It was pre-hashtag me too kind of era. It was 1994, but it still wasn't good enough. Corey, what act of vandalism made you sad this week? The cutting down of the famous sycamore gap tree in Northumberland, which is it, it's it's in part of Adrian's wall, 
Oh, it's actually beside Adrian's wall, but at certain angles it looks like it has it, it has been part of it. Um, a 60-year-old man has been charged. Originally a 16-year-old teenager was charged with the cutting down, but it turns out that it was actually um, this older chap. All I can think of is where is Vera when you need her? Caro, because this is right in her patch. This is right near Newcastle, well, dare I say. She's not sort of real. You know that, don't you? <laughs> no. What? <laughs> what do you mean? God. Um, this tree was voted Tree of the Year uh, in the Woodland Trust Awards in the UK. And, you know, the, the Brits, as you and I know, take their landmark vegetation very seriously, their rose gardens, their historic gardens. This tree is so beautiful. And of course, the National Trust people are absolutely, um, they're devastated. Reading their quotes, I, quite, I tear up. A lot of them have been in floods of tears. Somebody has replanted immediately a new sycamore tree, which is great. But the, but I don't mean to make light of this, but there were forensic officers taking measurements and samples from the remains from the trunk. And one of the um, one of the investigators was heard to say, in 31 years of forensics, I've never examined a tree. But, Carol, I just want to show you a picture, and Miss Jane will put this up on that. That's how beautiful and unique it is. So 300 years. I've never been to Hadrian's Wall, actually. Me neither. Maybe we could do our next walk there. And then this, of course, is the end result, which is just a big stump. Somebody has really got into it with a massive chainsaw. It's devastating and it's deliberate and I hate them. Caro, what major international institution is in danger of self-combusting? Well, I think the BBC is seriously in trouble. Now, you and I have spoken a lot about the Martin Bashir scandal, you know, exposed years and years after he interviewed Princess Diana and the fraudulent way he got Princess Diana to do that historic interview and the cover-up, as you've mentioned cover-ups already on the BBC. We know about Jimmy Savile. We know about the most recent scandal involving the newsreader. And now we've got Russell Brand. Um, and I think, um, as you you called it in the show notes, um, a safe haven for scumbags, mm-hmm. which is what the BBC has been described as. Well, that was the age headline on the story, but it's yeah. and, and absolutely right. So... If it is true that it was in a BBC car that Russell Brand sent and picked up a 16-year-old schoolgirl where she was delivered to his house, if it is true that the BBC knew about these complaints by a plethora of women and did nothing, if it is true that there were complaints made and covered up that journalists were prevented from reporting on this within the BBC, I think this is one scandal too many. For the well, BBC. They, well, they had the DJ Tim Westwood, um, who was stood down as a DJ um, when his uh, when there were allegations of sexual misconduct uh, in the workplace against him. And then, do you remember not long ago the wonderful? Well, he was wonderful in my eyes. The BBC newsreader Hugh Edwards. That's the one I was talking yeah, yeah, about. That's yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, with with um, in, inappropriate um, photos. I think it was. Look. People in high places, stars, and Russell Brand, clearly his behaviour was an open secret in the industry and he made it pretty obvious the sort of person he was. We knew he was misogynist. We knew he was, you know, you know, anyone who claims to be a sex addict, you know, don't get me started. I mean, do not get me started. But, you know, this stuff that has come out now, the fact that people were complaining and losing their jobs and being prevented from reporting on it in that sort of chain of events. I think the BBC, I think there needs to be a Royal Commission 
mm. into the BBC and the people who ran it and who run it. There have been too many own goals. It's just disgraceful, disgraceful conduct from what should be a respected institution. Now, Corrie, which public amenity continues to amuse and delight? The singing toilet. Oh. <laughs> So, you know, I told you last time about the singing toilet when I went in in a public space, in a public street, and I went in and it did pl- played the song Play Misty for me. Yeah. <laughs> We've all been into singing at the top, toilets. At the top of its voice. Well, yesterday I was caught short, as my mum would say, so I whizzed into the same public toilet thinking, oh, this is the singing toilet. I wonder what, what joyous song we're going to hear today. <laughs> This guy's in love with you. The Reels version or the original version? Just an elevator music version. Oh, okay. But nonetheless, this guy's in love with you as you're sitting there doing wheeze. It's an odd experience. And... What is so funny about the singing toilet is it's so goddamn loud. You're in a disco. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. You press yep, the button yep, to yep. lock the door, and all of a sudden the lights come on, and there's, you know, it's almost like a coloured ball up the top spinning. <laughs> anyway. I, I, I think this, yeah, well, yeah, I don't quite say that was the way I've sort of experienced it, but it is unusual. Um, do you know the one I'm talking about? Where about? Oh, is it? It might be in a coastal town close yeah, okay. to us. Yeah. Okay. Yes. 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 No, I don't think I've ever. Yeah. Noted the music. Yeah. Next is, time you go in, just is it off the main street? It is yeah. Off the yeah. I've oh, been there many times. <laughs> and dare I say, now that you have a granddaughter in very much in your midst, you will be going there a lot because all little kids ever want to do is go into a public toilet. Just FYI on that. Particularly if they can sing. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait to hear what your song is. What's the funniest, most poignant story you heard on Grand Final Day? Oh well, it's. It, well, I suppose funny probably isn't right, or poignant is maybe more appropriate. Certainly impressive. The girl who made the costumes for all those Kiss Kids. Yes, a lot of them. There were hundreds of them, and I think the AFL dispatched. I, I heard, I, I had heard that there was this one particular seamstress, and I don't know her name, who was put to work with a group of others to make hundreds of costumes for little kids who had no idea who Kiss was, and to run out onto the ground. She worked around the clock. I think for the last month, maybe six weeks, to get those costumes done. And those kids, and it was a hot day, and they were under the um, bowels of the MCG, within the bowels of the MCG, they had to wait for something like two hours. And they had to be herded in those costumes. I mean, I don't know about you, when the at Kiss themselves came out, I was worried they were going to totter out on those high heels and just fall over. And I note Channel 7 actually, as Kelly Underwood pointed out, missed the money shot of the smash guitar. But anyway... They did. I was furious about that. Um, That's a long time to spend in sparkles and lycra, isn't it? What? Two hours. But what Remember Kerry Hayes used to do the grand final entertainment? They used to give her two and sixpence. And how she (laughs) managed to do it. Then it went up market to the Tony Bartuccio dancers. But the kids, I wondered about the song that they were actually brought on to um, to dance to. Was it I Was Made For Loving You? Yep. Or mm. was it shouted out? No, I think it was I Was Made For Loving mm, You. I just thought mm, that was interesting choice. Corey, what is this week's amazing fact? 
I'm going to talk to you about hay fever. No offence to your flowers, Jane, but they have my nose a twitching. I never had hay fever until I was pregnant with my final child. The common name is allergic rhinitis. Hay fever is caused by the nose and or eyes coming into contact with environmental elements such as pollens and dust mite and moulds and animal dander. I don't know what animal dander is. Can someone please let us know? The immediate signs are, of course, the running nose. Sounds like sort of fluff and... Animal dander. Muck and dust that gets stuck under their skin or something. Courtney, welcome to the world of Wikipedia. (laughs) Um, So, running nose, itchy itchy nose, sneezing, itchy watery eyes. I have had all this and more. Hay fever is an allergic reaction. Your nose acts as a filter. The tiny hairs and mucus that line the nasal passages trap these dusts and pollens and other microscopic particles inside your nose and they get trapped. So that's, of course, causes sneezing. But it can actually be more significant than that. Some people do, it starts to go to their throat. Sometimes they have coughing fits. That's one of the side effects of mine. It can be really quite uh, uncomfortable. Until... Corrie, Co- Courtney has made her first contribution, major oh, contribution Courtney, Jane, to this welcome. show. All warm-blooded animals shed tiny flakes from their skin. And it's called dander. As in dandruff. Well, no, it's dander. Dander. But it does sound like dandruff, doesn't it? Thank you, Courtney. Good Thank job. You. <laughs> You've got the tick. You've got the gig, Courtney. <laughs> Miss Caro has spoken. Okay, so how do you minimise it? Well, you can remain indoors during the pollen season, particularly on windy days. We'll forget that. You can avoid activities that's known to cause exposure to pollen, such as mowing the grass. You can shower after your outdoor activities, which is a good idea. You can use recirculated air in the car when pollen levels are high. So get that aircon off and close those windows. Wear sunglasses. Now, I do find that this helps me. And dry your bedding and clothing inside or on a tumble dryer rather than putting it on the um, washing line, which I think is really good. If anybody's having trouble with this... Not very environmental, though. Using the tumble dryer on a warm day. I hang it over the clothes source like I do and put it in the sun. Yep, fair enough. At the window by the sun. Caro, did you know there's a Melbourne Pollen Count and Forecast website? I so didn't, you, you can actually download the Pollen Count app, for, and I did it this morning, where are the big pollen areas today, which is interesting because some of it was in Gippsland, which is where the fires are. Now, natural remedies. You can do what... Uh, what I used to do, which is Sudafed. I'm sick of taking drugs about this. It just goes on for a long time. It's two months of uncomfortableness. What can we do? One, drink... Discomfort is probably a better word than uncomfortableness, if you don't mind me correcting you before someone else writes in. (laughs) Dear pedants, sorry. Yep. What did I say? Uncomfortableness? Yep. Oh, a new word. Um, You've got the Scrabble tournament coming up. I'm just picking you up on that. Thanks. Um, Drink fenugreek seed tea. I've never heard of this, but if you have two or three cups a day, it does prevent the irritation. I mean, where do you get fenugreek seed tea? Eat more more ginger and garlic. Ginger is a natural anti-inflammatory and will reduce hay fever symptoms, and garlic contains antibiotic properties that can prevent sinus congestion. Eat local honey and beeswax. Now, I have talked about this before. Find your local bees, eat the honey because that will build up your immunities. And I didn't know this, Carol, add fish oils. It's yet another thing that omega-3 does for you. Um, fish oils reduce inflammation by blocking the inflammatory pathway, which like causes... Like sardines or something. Yeah, the exactly. oil from sardines. Tunas even. So there you go. So if, if you're suffering from hay fever, there are a few natural um, remedies, but also visit the Melbourne Pollen Count and Forecast website. Wow. Thank you, Corrie.
information galore. We, I actually, um, as See, a little... See, Courtney, she's the pretty one and I'm the facts one. I'm as, just like, dial Corrie, me up. As a, um, as a little um, sort of helpful thing in the new house for Rose and Oscar, my sister has this beautiful um, ottoman that she's covered in beautiful sort of Hessian material from um, like rattan type Hessian, Hessian material from her friend Emma. And it's beautiful, but she... At the moment, it's in Melbourne. She wants it up in Sydney eventually, and it looks really nice in the new living area. Well, within 24 hours, Rose said, Oscar's hay fever is just gone <laughs> into overdrive, and we think it's <laughs> we think it's the Ottoman. So wow. I don't think it's going to last very long in that the makes area. Ab- that makes absolute sense. I know. The other thing, too, that a lot of people um, notice, but you should always be aware when you're giving them at this time of year, Christmas lilies or even any, particularly the Oriental lilies, they... Uh, my throat constricts, I can't breathe, I cough the whole time. Just be very mindful of who you give lilies to. Yeah, or plane trees. I mean, I was on oh. air on Saturday on that outside broadcast and, you know, the wind and the dust, and I, my throat started constricting. I thought I was going to have a coughing attack on air. Luckily, didn't. Corrie, great amazing fact, very topical. Thank you for all your contribution this week. Thank you to everyone who helps this program. And what do we say? Don't shoot the pollen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Don't Shoot the Messenger with Caroline Wilson and Corrie Perkin. We love hearing from you, so join us on Facebook or Instagram at Don't Shoot Pod or email us via feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And if you'd like to support the show, the best way to do it is to tell a friend to listen. Your word of mouth recommendations are just so greatly appreciated. And of course, you can support our wonderful sponsors who make the podcast possible. Red Energy, awarded CanStar's most trusted energy providers three times. Maybe it's time you switch to red. Cobram Estate, Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil, grown, harvested and first cold pressed in northern Victoria and Prince Wine Store, Bank Street, South Melbourne and delivering Australia-wide. Visit princewinestore.com.au.